1: Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
3: He has the smarts
0: of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael.
1: To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had
0: a
4: shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today.
2: Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me,
4: Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: You're listening to the Fuck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Ukraine continues to put up a valiant fight to slow the advance of the Russian military machine 15 days into this invasion. Casualties are mounting on both sides as diplomatic efforts between the two nations have thus far failed to bring an end to the bloodshed. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is assuring our allies of America's commitment to Ukrainian victory by sending Kamala Harris to Warsaw. Inspiring. Friends, it is time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold The Line, I'm Buck Sexton. The situation on the ground in Ukraine is dire and getting worse, that much is for sure. You have Ukrainians taking more casualties, civilian casualties rising as well. And it looks as though the Russian war machine is increasingly encircling major cities, cutting off Ukrainian fighters from reinforcements. And in just a matter of time, will have surrounded the capital city of Kyiv. Here you see they're moving in from the north, the east, and the south, and it looks as though they're going to be expanding those red areas of Russian military control in the days ahead as some of these cities uh, are increasingly places like Kharkiv um, and Mariupol are coming under strong bombardment from the Russians, and the Ukrainian fighters are starting to lose territory or lose ground in these areas. This is vicious urban combat that is underway. The Russians are taking some heavy casualties in all of this. Depending on the estimates you see, it's in the thousands uh, of Russian casualties already. And there is certainly a lot of reporting on Russian troop morale being uh, pretty low. Uh, They don't really want to be in this war. At least a lot of the Russian troops realize this is not a just war by any stretch, But the Ukrainians are outmanned and outgunned still, and the Russian war machine is moving forward despite the valiant resistance that has been shown so far. Um, The situation now is one that would likely only change dramatically if there was a major intervention from Western powers like a no-fly zone, and that so far is off the table. I view that as a bad idea because I do not want the United States to go to war with Russia, over ukraine i don't want nato to go to war with russia over ukraine either we should be helping but allowing the ukrainian people to fight for themselves and then there's the biden administration diplomatic response going on in the background of all of this Uh, kamala harris who has really shown an impressive ability to look completely incompetent at every stage of the biden presidency so far and to create a lot of cringe-worthy moments i'd also note Why are they wearing masks outside in this photo? Not to draw in this uh, COVID discussion right now, but masking outside is never, anyway, they were all in the White House at the State of the Union unmasked, but now they're masking outside. Now Kamala's masking outside. This is absolutely absurd. Uh, But here's Kamala saying, well, this is about defending the territorial integrity of Ukraine, watch.
6: I am here, standing here on the Northern flank on the eastern flank talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies and what is at stake at this very moment. What is at stake this very moment are some of the guiding principles around the NATO alliance and in particular the issue and the importance of defending sovereignty and territorial integrity in this case of Ukraine.
0: I she got the country name right. Oh, boy. Look, the Biden administration has a lot of people who have a long history of uh, failure in terms of decision making. Joe Biden, at the top of that list, of course, for the last 40 years, he's been on the wrong side of every major foreign policy issue. But beyond that, even the last year, I mean, just look at Afghanistan. Look at the disaster that unfolded there for a withdrawal operation done on a timetable that Biden and his team established and then tried to execute on, and we ended up running out of that country, and you'll never forget the footage of people on the airfield there trying to jump on U.S. planes as they were taking off. It was a disaster. And Kamala Harris, who was at one point assigned to the U.S.-Mexico border to deal with that, instead would go down to Central America to look at root causes as if that's going to fix anything. Um, but she has been dispatched by the Biden regime to have some hand in this diplomatic effort. It's not going well, but she is saying some of the basics at least, I'll give her credit for that, like they're gonna keep helping the Ukrainians. Watch this one.
6: I can tell you that the issue facing the Ukrainian people and our allies in the Eastern flank is something that occupies one of our highest priorities in terms of paying attention to the needs, understanding it is a dynamic situation and requires us to be nimble and to be swift. I mentioned being swift in terms of accountability and consequence. We also fully appreciate we must be swift in terms of providing assistance where we can be helpful. And we will continue to do that.
0: Really inspiring stuff from Kamala Harris there, uh, amazing. I mean, people are ready to you know, storm the beaches of Normandy after hearing that one, absurd, but Kamala Harris is the vice president, so this is gonna continue. We need more serious people than what we have at the top of this Biden regime, but unfortunately, this is the government that we currently have in this country. Um, terrible things are happening right now in Ukraine. I mean, there was the maternity hospital in Mariupol that was uh, bombed. You see the aftermath of it here. There are awful things going on. This is a war that did not have to happen. Just the fact that this war was launched is a failure of diplomacy. Diplomacy that really was being led by the Biden administration. It didn't happen for four years under President Trump. It happened in the first year of Joe Biden's presidency. And it's because Joe Biden projects weakness on the world stage. He's too old for the job. He's not very bright. And the people around him live in a fantasy, a fantasy land of liberal limousine virtue signaling and don't understand how the real world actually works. So things are going to get worse in Ukraine in the days ahead, and we can't expect any brilliant breakthrough on diplomacy or otherwise from the Biden administration. So this is going to be up to the Ukrainian people, and they have a very tough fight on their hands. Here's uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky accusing Russia of genocide after that attack we just showed you
3: on the maternity hospital. Watch. Авіабомба на пологовий будинок – це остаточний доказ. Доказ того, що відбувається геноцид українців. Європейці, ви не зможете сказати, що не бачили, що відбувалося з українцями. Що відбувалося у Маріуполі. З маріупольцями. Ви бачили, ви знаєте. А отже, ви повинні посилювати санкції проти Росії так, so that no possibility this genocide.
0: There's a man who's actually staying and fighting with his country, and the whole world is watching this play out. Sergei Lavrov, on the other hand, the Russian Foreign Minister, is telling everyone, don't worry, we're not going to attack other countries, but also, we didn't attack Ukraine, he says, of the Russian Federation. Watch this propaganda на другие страны мы нападать не планируем мы и на Украину не нападали
5: на Украине мы просто объяснили многократно наступила ситуация которая создаёт прямые угрозы безопасности Российской Федерации yeah
0: Ukraine was asking for it Lavrov says basically this is what we were up against friends um, and this is what the Ukrainians are the ones who are really up against because they're the ones doing this fighting day in and day out and our thoughts and prayers are with them We'll have more analysis on the situation on the ground in Ukraine with senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracy, Bill Roggio, when we return. Let's take a minute to talk about protecting yourself financially. How devastated would you be if a criminal stole all the equity in your home? This crime is happening all over the U.S. and there's one company standing between you and these thieves, Home Title Lock. The FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes, which is why you need HomeTitleLock.com, America's leader in home title protection. See, the deed to your home is online. The thieves steal it, forge your signature, and then take out loans when they pretend that they actually own your home. This can even lead to eviction, never mind all the big bills you'll have to pay for loans you didn't take out. Common identity theft services do not protect you. HomeTitleLock.com is your peace of mind. The deed to your home is protected. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's
3: HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with Bill Roggio. Stay with us. The war now entering its third week as the world witnesses the devastating reality on the ground in Ukraine.
0: Russian forces violated a ceasefire and targeted the southern city of Mariupol where strikes killed thousands of civilians and devastated a maternity hospital. In a tweet from Ukraine's President Zelensky, he called the attack a direct strike from Russian troops, uh, writing, people, uh, children are under the wreckage, atrocity. How much longer will the world be an accomplice ignoring terror? Close the sky right now, stop the killings. You have power, but you seem to be losing humanity. The devastation is likely to continue and escalate in the coming days as Ukrainians are mounting a desperate effort to halt the Russian war machine. Here to give his analysis on what's happening on the ground is senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, Bill Rogio. Bill, good to see you. Thanks, Buck, it's always a pleasure. So let's first look at what's actually happening on the ground. We've got a map to show folks at home uh, so they can see here. Explain to us how this Russian advance has gone so far, what their targets are, what the strategy is up to
3: present day. Sure, up in the north, I think you could see the Russians are advancing on the Ukraine. Um, There's also another big city up there. It's called Chernihiv. It's right on the edge of the the red in the north. so they're doing. Also, they're prepared to surround the province there. They that would essentially cut off all you. If if they're able to pull this off, um, and this this advance has been plotting, but it's it's been moving forward. I heard a defense department spokesman call calling Russian advances when they were saying stalled. Now they're saying they're making moderate gains. So it's going forward, and I anticipate this gap, this uh, this encirclement in the north to close. Perhaps within the next week, uh, it could be days and it could be a week. It could be several weeks in the uh, West. You see a similar thing happening near uh, Luhansk. You got to actually there, there's reporting that the, the Russians are going to go all the way from the south in the Crimea. If you draw a straight line up to to Kharkiv, um, that area, the Russians look like they're pushing. You could see you could see that developing on the map. And that would cut off, essentially cut off the far eastern part of Ukraine. That includes the Donbass, that contested area, where uh, there's a lot of Ukrainian troops holding the line there. So the Ukrainians are, are, um, and then in the south, you have a a continuing advance. The Black Sea is almost fully under control of the Russians. That would, you know, if the Russians decided to keep this after any armistice, that would starve the Russian economy. So I, you know, the, uh, we spoke earlier at the beginning of this, Buck, and I said, this is a, the, you can see an organized offensive here. And that's what we're starting to see develop on this map. Um, the situation looks grim for the Ukrainians, but they're fighting hard. And I think they're fighting hard harder than a lot of people figured they would.
0: Uh, to that end, there's video that um, got a lot of attention that I'm sure you saw this bill of a tank column, Russian tank column. That's getting chewed up by Ukrainian incoming fire on the outskirts of Kyiv. You see here in real time, that's what occurred there. I mean, you could, you know, the video is pretty clear. This tank column getting hit, getting hit hard. Um, is this indicative of what the Russians are coming up against in all places where they're trying to advance? And do we have any real sense of what Russian material and personnel
3: losses are up to this point? Um, on the second question, we really don't. Uh, the estimates that are coming out that are being repeated at the Department of Defense essentially mirror that of the Ukrainians. And the Ukrainians have been very clear that they're attempting to win this war on social media, win this war in the media. So they're, I think they're inflating Russian casualties. But I wouldn't doubt if the Russians have taken thousands killed or wounded. The, watching clips like this is very instructive. We see an attack on a Russian column, we see Russian tanks being destroyed. But what we're, it's, it's a piece of the puzzle, it's not the entire picture. Do those Russian tanks, as they're moving, are they advancing, are they retreating? The Russians, I believe, have calculated that they will take losses. Uh, but they, they're taking those losses, but they're continuing as the, the, even the defense department has stated, they're moderately gaining ground. This is, this is part of the stiff defense, what we're seeing in that video is part of the stiff defense that the Ukrainians are putting up, but the question is, is, is it enough to stop the Russian advance?
0: What would be a a game changer at this stage, short of a no fly zone, is there anything that outside, uh, outside actors here, NATO, America, the West, could do, could provide, could assist with, that might actually bring the Russian war machine, if not to defeat, to something like a stalemate situation? Is there
3: anything? I don't think there is short of an intervention from NATO forces. Um, right now, the, the Russians, as things stand, and, and we have to understand these are War is a dynamic situation and, you know, fortunes can change tomorrow. But as I, I'm observing this operation, what I'm seeing is the Russians are slowly advancing, slowly grinding down the Ukrainian forces. The we, we see a lot of reporting on Russian casualties, Russian destruction of Russian vehicles. We don't get any, we have zero sense of Ukrainians are losing. This is not being covered. So this is all the fog of war but short of uh, NATO going to war, and this would require NATO going to war with Russia, uh, imposing a no-fly zone is going to war with Russia. That's what it would take at this stage to turn the tide.
0: What's the situation of the Russian air force and their use of close air support here? I've been seeing conflicting analysis, Bill, that the Russians are holding back their air superiority at some level. They haven't gotten total control of the skies over Ukraine quite yet. I've also seen people say, no, the Russians are having problems coordinating complex air to ground support and operations. Do we have a sense of that? can, Can you tell us what the reality is?
3: What I believe is happening is that the Russians are gaining air superiority in tactical situations. So if they're going to advance on this road, or in this area or push on this front, they can gain air superiority when they choose to do it. What they haven't done is provided a blanket air superiority. We can only guess as to why this is the case. Is it the problem of the Russians not wanting to do this? Is it a problem of the Russians being unable to do it? I suspect it, it's a combination of both. I wonder how much of Russia's uh, military leadership um, wants to commit the Russian Air Force into this battle um, because it knows it's going to take losses. Uh, I think it's more willing to do things like lose tanks and, and armored personnel, carriers and vehicles and infantrymen than it is to lose key assets like the um, aircraft. But the, the, you know, this is like getting into the mind of Putin, what are in, his intentions. We can only surmise, we don't know the true answer in this case.
0: And what do you think are the chances that vladimir putin if there was a decision in the future for right now the democrats uh the republicans seem united at least in leadership the american people by polling support a no-fly zone but i think the more they know about what a no-fly zone would entail very rapidly that support would would drop off in your mind if if there was a nato declaration of a no-fly zone even let's say over the western half of the country to to protect humanitarian corridors, et cetera, L- L- Lviv, for example, the Western city, there's been calls for NATO to just create a protectorate there. Do you think, the, do you think that Vladimir Putin would order for his forces, his, his air force, for example, or surface-to-air missiles to engage and to shoot down U.S. and NATO planes? I mean, what level of certainty in your mind is there that Putin would actually go to that
3: length? I think the, like, and on the issue of no-fly zone, in order to enforce a no-fly zone, no-fly zone, you would need to target Russian troops on the ground, not just in Ukraine, but in Russia, because you need to hit surface air missiles, you need to hit um, you know, the missile launchers themselves, anti-aircraft guns. A lot of this equipment is not based in Ukraine, because these equipments have ranges of uh, hundreds of miles. They've shot down Ukrainian aircraft um, from Russia. So you know, the idea of of a no-fly zone is great, but I think that the, the devil's in the details here. And, you know, there's no such thing as a partial no-fly zone. Even if you were to put that, you know, to declare it in the far western half of Ukraine, you would have to reach into Russia and into western Ukraine. I think that if this did happen, as long as this wasn't reaching over to Kiev, I would guess that the, that Putin would probably let this go. We haven't seen a ton of military operations occurring far west of, of Kiev. It might be, one he won't be happy about it, but I doubt that he wants to risk uh, a direct intervention with U.S. forces. So, but we're playing a game of chicken at that point, Buck.
0: Bill, we'll have more on this soon with you. Thanks so much.
3: Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Buck.
0: Disney is weighing in on Florida's parental rights and education bill, adding its name to the list of woke corporations that believe six-year-olds should learn about gender identity in schools. We'll have more on
3: that with Newsweek Opinion Editor Josh Hammer coming up. As the controversy over Florida's parental rights and education bill continues to grow all over the
0: country, Governor Ron DeSantis is standing firm on his support for it, even despite a concerted uh, effort from the left to attack him and a concerned phone call from Disney CEO Bob Chapek and his company executives. The Disney chief had been criticized earlier in the week for not condemning the bill in strong enough terms. Chapek now claims that Governor DeSantis has agreed to meet with him and the LGBTQ members of Disney's executive team corporate wokeness strikes again joining me now with reaction josh hammer newsweek opinion editor and host of the josh hammer show good to see you josh
5: anytime bud thanks for having me
0: so disney weighs in why what's going on here
5: I mean, the question why obviously is the question that every American with a 401k with any kind of pension plan, any kind of retirement plan, really kind of any skin in the game whatsoever in the stock market and Disney in particular, of course, really, that's what we should be asking right now. Okay, but what capital, I mean, we've seen kind of the succession of this very toxic ideology over the past five to 10 years. Where the spread of the woke ideology, which I think kind of started obviously in kind of fringe sectors of the American Academy. It kind of has its start. It has its origins obviously in kind of the Frankfurt School back in the 1960s and Adorno and the, and the various theorists. It has now exploded, not just onto the college campus, but into the corporate boardroom. And time and time again here, we saw where kind of when Delta Airlines kind of boycotted Georgia with respect to their pro-life law a few years ago. We've seen time and time again how these massive mega Fortune 500 companies put their thumb on the scale and try to dictate public policy in a way that has nothing whatsoever to do with the actual value of a, of the stock, the actual value of the company, which obviously was Milton Freeman's theory of the firm and I think is still kind of corporate law. It's still good law, we would say, most jurisdictions today. So it, it's obviously totally nonsense. Disney should stick to its fundamental business line and get the hell out of the way of politics. It's also a total fundamental misreading of the law as well which a lot of people have pointed out as well but disney needs to just get the hell out of the way i mean worry about your shares of your company worry about your shareholders to whom you have a fiduciary duty what is going on here with respect to an education bill in the florida legislature has nothing to do with that whatsoever
0: and so are people you think because this has gotten a lot more attention for days and days you had the media just saying the don't say gay bill they were repeating this talking point that's not the name of the bill the bill doesn't say that but Every question, every news headline, the don't say gay bill, it seems that now because of the controversy around it, there's at least some hope that people will understand what's in it, what's not. Are you seeing a change in the awareness of what's actually contained in
5: this and in Florida and beyond? You know, Buck, never I think in my adult life have I seen kind of the entirety of the corporate media, the entirety of kind of the left leaning, talking head, chattering head class unify on a slandering, very obviously misnaming of a bill basically before the bill has even been signed into law. This bill has literally not been signed into law yet. And everyone from, from NBC to CNN to the New York Times, even to kind of fairly kind of centrist outlets, I mean, even kind of the Wall Street Journal, they are all kind of referring to this as the don't say gay bill. But let me read to you so your viewers can hear what the actual allegedly controversial provision says, okay? The, the law says, quote, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three, or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. That's it, the word gay does not appear in there. It has nothing to do in there whatsoever. What the law is saying is that if you are a kindergarten, first, second or third grade teacher, You cannot talk to your students about what it means to be gay or to be transgender because these are young kids, okay? These are young, easily shaped, easily influenced, easily manipulated kids. And these are very sensitive conversations that are best had in the comforts of one's own home. That is all the bill is saying here. This is not a controversial thing, but Buck, you're a student of history, just like I am. You know how far back this goes. This goes back to kind of Bolshevik Soviet era social theory. It's all about kind of breaking down the family, giving the government more and more power. Here, that's being done in the in the left's eyes through obviously the public school bureaucracy, the teachers, the teachers unions, the principals. That is what the the ultimate end goal here, obviously, is to kind of erode the family, erode the family as the unit that is responsible for teaching these very sensitive subjects and putting it in the hands of woke bureaucrats and woke teachers.
0: Here is uh, going back to the Disney dust-up now with, uh, with the DeSantis administration and the possible signing of this bill. DeSantis' team put out this statement about the call with the Disney CEO. The governor's position has not changed. Disney is known as a family-friendly company that creates wholesome entertainment for kids. The same Florida parents who take their families to Disney also support parental rights and education because they do not want to have their young children exposed to inappropriate content about sex and gender theory at school. Gonna I say, I, I think the tide is turning on this, as people understand more about what's actually going on here, uh, Josh. And it also so shows, I think, the left is very sensitive right now to, they've been losing badly the battle over parental rights. They've, you know, when you look at uh, Glenn Youngkin, his victory in Virginia... And CRT, which they largely now have backed away from that fight, too, saying there was no CRT. CRT is good. You don't know what CRT is. They, they couldn't even come up with a coherent narrative. And it feels like this is the first time the left has tried to push back on. We care about parental rights, or at least we have a way of fighting back against parental rights. And maybe the tide is turning on this one.
5: So I think in general, the tide on some of these kind of culture war issues, we might say, is turning a little bit towards the right. Okay, I think we're starting to make more inroads here. And you know what it ultimately takes? I think it ultimately takes graphic images. So when we kind of saw that video, this is obviously a slightly different issue, but it's nonetheless very related. When a lot of us saw that video of Leah Thomas, if I have the name correct, University of Pennsylvania swimmer, kind of beating the entire field by 20, 30 seconds in these races, that is a jarring visual, okay? That is the kind of image that one does not soon forget here. When we see kind of literally some of the drag queen story hours, okay? I mean, what happened in Virginia was very much kind of a backlash against kind of the drag queen storyization or the attempted drag queen storyization of kids. Whether it's critical race theory, whether it's a sexualization of children, it's the same thing. They are two sides of the exact same coin here. And the end goal, of course, again, is to kind of indoctrinate kids into rebelling against family unit structures, traditional structures, religion, community, and ultimately condemnation state and religion. If you want to extrapolate, ultimately God Himself, I would argue at least But the left, I think, is on the defensive here, and it's because that we, on the right, we in conservative media, Newsweek, Variety, various kind of platforms, we have, I think, done a decent job of getting the message out here. We're running a great op-ed on this on Newsweek on Monday uh, by my good friend Max Eden on this topic. So I tell the viewers of the show to not miss that op-ed for sure.
0: Just real quick, is, is Governor DeSantis about to sign this? Do we know what the what the uh, status of the bill is?
5: He's indicated he will sign it, uh, hopefully any day, any day now. It's a good bill in my perspective. It should definitely get signed into law, but hopefully any day now.
0: Josh Hammer, good to see you, man. Thanks so much. Anytime, Buck. The Biden administration still has no coherent plan to ease prices at the pump, but we know there's one thing they're not considering, energy independence. For more on that, we'll talk to the host of Counterculture on The Epic Times, Danielle D'Souza Gill. First, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed. We know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and is offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. You need Secure. Secure is your solution to to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. Costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R dot And use promo code Buck for 25% off. And we'll be right
3: back with more Hold the Line. The Biden administration continues to push
0: back against suggestions that its policies are in any way responsible for the current price of gas being so very high. They're saying that the pump issues are exclusively the fault of Vladimir Putin. This week, U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm called claims that drilling would ease the growing burden on American households BS. Watch.
6: I mean, there are some here, or maybe at least lobbyists or beltway politicians, who seem to think that this is the time to recycle old talking points you know this i mean people are arguing that if a pipeline that wouldn't have even been in operation by now were still under construction the situation with today's oil prices would be different or that president biden's policies have decreased production when we're actually at record levels of natural gas and lng and we'll be at record levels of oil production hopefully by next year we all know the, that is the same old DC BS.
0: Is that, is that a good thing, by the way, or a bad thing to Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary, that we, assuming what she's saying is even true. It's interesting, isn't it? They, they can't even tell you. The Biden administration has pushed its green energy policy into overdrive, as we all know, because apparently it believes transitioning the entire economy from fossil fuels to solar panels and windmills, that's the real solution. Yeah. Joining me now to discuss is the host of Counterculture on the epic Times, Danielle de Souza Gill. Danielle, thanks so much.
7: Thanks for being here.
0: So what's going on here? Feels like on the one hand, they tell us that they're going to save the world with the Green New Deal and cutting back on leases on federal land, offshore drilling, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. They do all this stuff and they say, hey, man, we don't have any problem with fossil fuels. It's great right now. It feels like it can't be both of these things.
7: Yeah, well, she mentioned recycling old talking points. And I think they're the ones who are doing that. They're basically the ones who are saying, let's blame Putin for everything. Let's act like inflation is Putin's fault, even though recently they were, um, you know, experiencing this way before everything happened with this in Ukraine. They're gonna blame the gas prices on Putin, basically everything that they can possible because they know how much they're gonna be struggling in the midterms. But I think that when it comes to this, we actually see that this is all Biden's fault because he's the one who's chosen to open the Nord 2 pipeline. He's the one who's choosing to um, have us get oil and gas from iran or venezuela when he's not allowing us to have the keystone xl pipeline open here so he's not against oil and gas he's only against american oil and gas
4: here
0: is jen Psaki, by the way you know wh- one of the things we've heard a lot uh danielle is shifting explanations for why one inflation is happening and and now of course also why gas prices are at an all-time high right now under the biden administration and what they'll say about it is it was covid it's uh, putin's fault or originally it was temporary jen saki was trying that one today again so I, I mean i guess life is also temporary but anyway here's what she
2: says regular basis but in terms of prices going up we do anticipate that gas prices and energy prices will go up that is something that the president has conveyed very clearly to the american public we also believe it will be temporary and not long-lasting
0: I mean, what what is that even? Yeah, I mean, prices go up, they come down. If the price stays high for 6, 12, 18 months, that's going to hurt a lot of people.
7: Yeah I mean it is temporary it's going to be as long as the Democrats are in office that's how long inflation is going to last that's how long all of this is going to keep going on. And just because she's telling us ahead of time hey this is going to happen well we see it's already happening that doesn't you know give them any kind of good faith backing out of this but of course they're going to try to distance themselves from everything that they've caused I mean that's why I think Dr. Fauci has disappeared they realized, whoa, people don't like that whole you know all the COVID crackdowns they don't like everything going on at the gas pump so they're just trying to distance themselves from it basically create these other bad actors as if they're the people to blame who else can they blame if not themselves
0: i mentioned this by the way they, they really are specifically trying to just blame this all on putin look the, the war in ukraine clearly has had a recent effect on prices and in, and, and uh, on gas prices specifically prices generally too but it was going on a lot longer than that so it's kind of funny to see jen Psaki just go yeah high inflation it's putin's fault watch this one
6: you said this is temporary, you know, you've, you've noted before that inflation is going to wane or is expected to wane by the end of the year. Is that still your belief?
2: These That continues to be the projection of the Federal Reserve, of outside economists, and we really rely on them for their projections. But there is also no question that uh inflation may be higher for the next few months than it would have been without the russia without president putin and russia's further invasion into ukraine particularly due to higher energy prices and obviously they will watch that and we are watching that but that is definitely having an impact
0: i mean i i think that it's fascinating to watch all the excuses and really no answers from jen from biden from this whole white house
7: No answers at all. I think that's why they just they just have nothing to really run on this time. I think that whoever is next whoever is going to try to you know run in 2024 on their side is going to have to either say Hey, I support Biden's policies. You know, I'm kind of continuing the great things Biden did. Of course, that's not going to work. Or they're going to have to pivot and say, you know, this was horrible. We have to come up with something new. But in the meantime, there's just going to be this vacuum, this um, emptiness, where there's really no messaging. I mean, if you listen to Jen Psaki, half the time she like like we said, she's either blaming someone or she isn't even offering a real explanation. She's just saying this is having an impact. Well, we all know that. We all know that um, what Russia is doing in Ukraine is having an impact, but that doesn't solve anything. So I would ask her, well, what are you? doing to actually solve this problem as far as um, the gas crisis.
0: Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary uh, earlier on, as we know, said that the talking points are being recycled. One big talking point from the Biden administration has been wages are rising. That's what they've been saying. Meanwhile, when we actually look at this, inflation, which is almost 8% now, is outstripping wage growth for the last 12 months. You look, wages are up 5%. That would normally be a great thing, except inflation's up almost 8%. So even people who have gotten uh, an increase in their wages, everybody, everybody is suffering a 3% cut in the actual, uh, you know, in, in the actual buying power that they have and is also suffering through higher prices all over the place
7: course, and this is actually so much worse than I think if we had had a Bernie Sanders or a socialist, because at least with their arguments, I mean, it's horrible. You would think though someone would get something in return, perhaps if you're paying more taxes or whatever it is. But in this situation, people aren't making um, enough money to outweigh this inflation, so their lives are actually just worse off. Anything that they could have bought last year is now going to be more expensive. The same dollar that someone has put in their bank account to save is now worth less if they were to use it this year. So I think that a lot of people are going to be so hurt by the end of this whole Biden administration. I just, I couldn't even imagine what the next few years are gonna be like as long as Biden, Harris, or whoever is in office um, until 2024, but I just really hope that they do not take um, drastic action because I think anything that they do, they pretty much bungle and just like how they did in Afghanistan. So um, I just really look forward to 2024.
0: Janet Yellen telling everybody, by the way, Americans are in good financial shape, watch this one.
3: Really protected most Americans from severe financial crisis consequences of the pandemic so that uh, they're by and large in good financial shape.
0: Uh, 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, Danielle.
7: Yeah, they're not in good financial shape. And I think that that just shows the great disconnect between a lot of American elites and the American worker. And I think this is such a huge contrast with when we had Trump in office, who really spoke on behalf of the, you know, the uh, regular American family. And I think that seeing things from the perspective of someone who's just living their lives is what these politicians need to start doing. But they're never going to do that because, I mean, Biden, he probably only listens to his advisors who tell him everything to say. And Jen Psaki is the expert at avoiding questions and never circling back to any question.
0: Danielle, thanks for your perspective. Good to see you.
7: Thank you.
0: The White House is pushing Americans to buy electric cars, but does Joe muscle Car Biden actually own one? We'll have video of
3: Gensaki struggling to answer that one in Quick Hit. Stay with us. Jen Psaki
0: can't answer whether or not Joe Biden practices what he preaches, and Vice President Kamala Harris has an awkward moment when she's asked about the Ukrainian refugee crisis. All par for the course. Those stories in tonight's quick hits. Um, so look, Kamala Harris uh, is not good at her job. not surprising, but not very good at this. And she has a laugh that people have pointed out. And this may sound superficial, but you know they're politicians and. We're gonna talk about them. Uh, She has a laugh that people find often unsettling Uh, and because it's kind of awkward the way she does it. Well, she's asked about the Ukrainian refugee crisis, which is a situation where people are fleeing warfare. Some of them have lost homes, lost family members. Uh, They're terrified. They don't know what the future holds for them. They may have lost everything in a sense, except their lives. Fortunately, they're still alive. But other than that, they've left it all behind, and uh, the world is watching people like Kamala Harris in a moment like this, and here's how she responds.
7: I wanted to ask you about some reporting that my colleague here in Poland noticed. He recently spoke with the mayor of the largest border town, who told him that the refugee system is essentially not set up for this, that it will collapse. It's an improvised system that can work for maybe two weeks, but not indefinitely. And I'm wondering what the United States is going to do more specifically to set up a permanent infrastructure. And relatedly, is the United States willing to make a specific allocation for Ukrainian refugees? And for President Duda, I wanted to know if you think, and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees.
6: Okay. (laughs) A friend in need is a friend (laughs) indeed.
5: Okay, so this time. Uh,
0: now, look, for a moment there there was the nervous laughter that, that even the, the other gentleman there um, had, but then she really kind of leaned into it. It's just just feels tone deaf, that's all. Feels tone deaf, which I think this White House suffers from on a regular basis. Speaking of tone deaf let them drive teslas seems to be the rallying cry of the democrat apparatus these days when gas prices are so high you know put a solar panel on your house peasant that's pretty much their attitude some people have had enough of that and so they're asking jen Psaki, well hold on a second does joe biden even own electric cars he's talking about how great electric cars are and there's this big electric power grid push from the libs and they want to do all this stuff here's saki trying to answer that one
1: you guys are pushing electric vehicles today. This is a president who always talks about the power of our example. Mm-hmm. Does he own an electric vehicle?
2: Presidents of the United States don't do a lot of driving.
1: He's posted videos where he's revving the engine of his Corvette in Wilmington. He owns cars.
2: And he also has driven electric vehicles as president as, as to give a model to the rest of the country. Does he own one? I think the president's record on this is clear, Peter. Presidents of the United States, current and when they are no longer, typically are not doing a lot of driving.
0: Yeah, but you see, he does, like, he owns houses, even though he lives in the White House. He owns cars, even though he's the president. Does he own electric? But the answer is no, of course, but she doesn't want to answer it because, you know, that would, yeah, that's no fun. It's no fun to get caught. Great work by, by uh, uh, Peter Ducey there, doing good stuff. CNBC's Rick Santelli, the man who launched the Tea Party. People forget that. It was Rick Santelli who went on a rant on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and boom, Tea Party, 2010. CNBC's Rick Santelli has gone off again, this time about Biden's excuses for inflation. Watch this one.
3: And of course, this inflation news is going to be tough for the administration.
0: Nothing, Joe, nothing has been more politicized than inflation. Just let's harken back to all the things we've been through. First, it was transitory. Then inflation is good. Then we went to corporate greed. Now we're at Putin. He's right. They just keep changing the storyline because otherwise it would be why are you so incompetent, Biden regime? Why are you so bad at this being president thing? Right. I think that uh, speaks for itself at some level. Uh, and then there's this a guy in Russia shows off his refrigerator full of McDonald's ahead of the restaurant closures. So was this just guys because he loves McDonald's so much? How did this make it into quick hits? Kind of curious. Seems like. What, this guy loves McDonald's that much? That's what this is? Wow. And apparently he's just stacking himself up there with as much McDonald's as he can get. Um, You know, personally, I'm I'm more of an in-and-out guy, I'm just going to say, but it is what it is. I'm wrapping. Thanks, everybody, for hanging here with us. Good to see you back tomorrow. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The no-spin news at Bill O'Reilly next, Shields High. Who's there for heroes of the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty. Who helps our country's homeless veterans and who helps our nation to never forget 9-11. Let me tell you who the Tunnel Towers Foundation, the foundation's gold star fallen first responder, smart home and homeless veteran programs comprise their in the line of duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Dozens of golf outings. And the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is educating kids kindergarten through 12th grade to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org.
1: More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
0: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael.
1: To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall.